turn the presentation over to Brenda. Okay. Thank you, Kathy and Jill. Hey, it's nice to be here. Um, as I said, I'm here to talk about the role of the IHP or the Individualized Health Plan in supporting students. Um, I work with a specific set of students with specific um, health needs, but we're going to talk more generally about chronic health conditions and what that looks like. Um, there are certainly some commonalities there that we can talk about. So, as Kathy said, please, if you have questions as we go along, um, they'll give me a buzz here and we'll, we'll talk about them. Uh, if there are things I cannot answer at this moment, I will be more than pleased to take that question and do what due diligence I need to do research-wise and get that back to you so we'll, we, can, um, we can make sure that you're getting some help and some direction with whatever kinds of questions you have. Um, so just quickly, I'll kind of tell you um, about myself and make sure my slides are advancing here. Um, there we go. Um, so I have been a teacher in multiple school levels for, for years and years. Um, I'm a general ed teacher and also a special educator. Special educator. Um, I have never taught kindergarten and I've never taught seniors, but I've taught first grade all the way up to graduate school at some level. So, um, you know, a wide variety there. I don't know if that makes me vastly experienced or just indecisive, I don't know, but point being. Um, so lots of levels. And um, I have worked in multiple roles also as an advocate for patients and families. My current job is, is that um, we advocate for families in schools, universities, workplaces, and other social services. Um, where our patients need the support and the and and their surroundings need the education and all of those things so we are there for for those patients and um that is i will say that for some of you are saying wow does my doctor's office have that probably not I and mean, we're kind of unique in that way that we do offer i quite frankly um myself in my role and i have one colleague and we are the only two career counselors who work in a hemophilia treatment center in the country. So we're kind of two of a kind, you know. Um, and so it's not something normal. So these types of, of things we're gonna talk about today may not come from your doctor's office right away. They may not share those. Um, that's why we wanna talk about them. You can certainly talk about them with your doctor's office um, and encourage families to do that. But we kind of wanna understand that's why, where I'm coming from and why this might be a little bit unique or something you may not have heard before. Um, Certainly, I am a parent uh, of two fabulous young people um, in there, and they're adults, of course, but one of my children has a uh, invisible health condition. And so, you know, and she's given me permission, I can say a little about that to try to um, put that in some perspective for us also today. So, um, so today, what we would really want to talk about, just our goals for the day will be, what is an individualized health plan if we aren't familiar with that? Um, what kind, what goes in it, and who would need one? Anyone with a chronic health condition. Um, so that was easy to answer right off the bat. Um, but what kind of difference can it make? How does it help? How does it support other documents um, and programs that you may already have in place in the school? Who do you need to talk to about that? Who's involved? What kinds of documents or things, other things do you need to put that in place? So we want to 
um, try to cover all of those in, in a way that makes it practical for you to at least get started and move forward. Okay. Um, so what I want to talk about just to start with, because most of us are really familiar um, with the special um, services that we might have at school programs currently. So, you know, we are get familiar with specialized programs. So in this case, we're going to look at just, for example, IEPs. So getting some data from the U.S. Department of Ed, the most recent that we can get, and looking at our children ages 3 through 21 that are served under IDEA. And if we look at, there's, you know, you can see on the chart, there's these percentages, which are a percent served out of total enrollment when we're thinking in a national perspective. So, you know, you have these, um, these categories, but if you see at the top, it says all disabilities, 13.7%. So when you think nationally, total enrollment, 13.7% of kids are being served here um, under this piece of IDEA. IDEA. Um, there's a lot of obviously attention and work and staff that go into supporting students um, that are served by an IEP, uh, definitely. And we wanna take that into consideration. And some of these kids could be chronic health condition kids. Um, but I want us to just kind of keep that number in our head a little bit because it's, it's gonna be a little bit astounding, I think, um, as we look forward. Um, what's being done. So when we think about that for the IEP, and we've got that 13.7%, right? So then we think other specialized programs we're familiar with, so 504s. So nationally, you know, coming out of the, um, the Civil Rights Office and looking at 2.3% of kids out of that total population of all kids are served by a 504. So when we think about the IEPs and 504s, we've got only about 16% of our kids are being served under some sort of specialized program between those two uh, major programs and documents that we typically see. Um, you know, surprisingly, you know, we looked here at this data, one out of every eight public schools or districts don't even have a single student being served by a 504. Hmm. Might want to think about that as we're getting ready to talk about our chronic health conditions. Um, but thinking about the 504 as um, a condition that substantially limits a major life activity. Talking about some interpretation there, um, but we want to we want to really focus in on this part of this piece as we're thinking about health plans. A 504 is not an individualized health plan but they can work in concert and really support each other and give each other a little bit of, of teeth um, to make sure that we get all of the right supports for our kids that we need. Um, and we wanna make sure that families understand this as well because I think there are many times, I know as a teacher, I've had kiddos with chronic illnesses and not always was that out front or definitely didn't have a health plan. and understanding the um, particular circumstances of that child and that family with that chronic health condition. Sometimes there's um, issues that families have with wanting to disclose information or wanting to share that. And we wanna make sure that um, we are talking to families, asking those questions if we're supporting them in some way. And if you are a family member and you're watching this and your child is one of these, these kiddos, you know, we wanna think about is it important to disclose? Because disclosure is a very personal 
decision made by a patient and family, but we wanna, how can we put documents into place and supports in place if we don't disclose? So there's, there's some um, uh, kind of a couple ways to think about that sometimes families have, but we do wanna think about how can we support our student in the best way possible. And it's really only possible when we do some, some uh, bit of disclosure or some limit of disclosure so that we can uh, address the issues that that student and family may have. So we wanna keep that in mind as that can be a really sensitive issue to start with. So we just wanna be aware as we're talking about this that um, many families are not as comfortable and we wanna approach that subject pretty delicately, okay? Um, but so as we go back, we think we have this 16% of our kids are being served by our uh, IEPs and 504s, yet 25% of school-age children have a chronic health condition or a CHC. 25% of our kiddos out there have a chronic health condition. So it seems to me, I only taught elementary math, but it seems to me like we're, we're uh, not adding up very well there. Um, and certainly not every child that has a chronic health condition needs an IEP. Not every child with a chronic health condition needs a 504. Uh, some kiddos that have obviously IEPs and 504s don't have a chronic health condition. However, when a child has a chronic health condition, we can get a health plan and we can make sure that there are elements there that are going to support that child in the learning environment to give them access and so forth. So we just wanna think about those numbers. One in four kids in this classroom right now have a chronic health condition. Those numbers are pretty, pretty staggering if we think about that being an, an underserved, potentially underserved population, okay? Um, um, I do wanna make note though that the, within this uh, consideration of chronic health condition, the CDC already does take into um, that number, uh, ADHD, diagnosis, you know, as that. So there are a couple that we might not think of maybe as a chronic health condition when we first think of it, um, but it, it does it does apply here. So um, just a, a note to think that through. Um, so what we really want to talk about is why do these kiddos need this anyway? Chronic health conditions span, obviously, the gamut. Um, but what research is telling us is that children with chronic health conditions have issues in school that can um, lead to undesirable outcomes. We, they find high absentee rates, low student engagement when they are there, more kids dropping out of school and just not finishing, um, far more exposure to bullying, um, and that can be from anyone in the school environment. Um, sometimes the children's them, the children or the patients themselves can have more instances of disruptive behaviors, which we can talk about in a minute here. Certainly, if you are having low engagement and high absentee rates and bullying, or you're going to have poor grades, um, below average performance on standardized achievements. And so there is a definite link between a health condition, a poor health condition, and your and your uh, achievement in school, and we want to we want to close that gap. We want to we want to help kiddos just because they have a chronic health condition shouldn't be a reason that they are not succeeding in school. Not only not succeeding, but not thriving. And we really want to get to the thriving. 
as opposed to the just getting getting by. Um, so because we also look that approximately 6% of students have multiple chronic conditions, um, which can lead to even more challenges. So they have treatment adherence, there's disease acceptance, some lifestyle modifications, the coordination of care that needs to happen amongst providers, school, and so forth, increased exposure to chronic condition risk factors. So, you know, um, germs, things of that nature that kids need to be cautious of depending on what their condition is. Difficulties transitioning, uh, because for some of our kiddos that spend a good deal of time out of school, maybe for hospitalization, that transitioning back and forth between the workload, the friends, the social piece, um, the environment, the treatment regimens, you know, things of that nature. Um, then for kiddos who have uh, multiple issues at once, um, you know, think about how that compounds every time and, and in every instance. So there's no wonder our kiddos struggle in school. Um, add in what could, again, depends on the condition and the child, the situation, but there are times where there could be cognitive impairment and that could be temporary or permanent. As, as an example, um, some of my kiddos are kiddos who have, have had strokes, they have um, thrombosis issues, and that can cause some cognitive impairment, whether that's just temporary or permanent, but they're able to go back to school, they're able to get back in that environment with some supports, yet they may not be the student they were before. They may have had some loss, or there may be some processing changes, or some mood personality changes, um, things like that that can affect what's happening. Um, lack of access and opportunity. If, if a child is not able to engage in certain activities, um, certain uh, you know, PE or science experiments or different things that they're not able to participate in, then they, they lose out. They lack that access. They lack the opportunity to learn, to do that activity with friends and in a school environment, in that learning environment. So that can happen. There are certainly psychosocial issues. We think about, as I said, disease acceptance. Why me? Why should I care about this? I was, I'm so sick and I have to worry about that all the time. School just seems like it's low on my priority list. Um, not feeling accepted with peers, feeling like they get left out. Oh, my friends went on without me because I've been out of school for um, you know, hospitalization, things like that. Um, it makes it very difficult for them at times with those psychosocial issues. Certainly families can have financial and other strain and sometimes that affects kids. They have guilt. You know, my parents are really struggling financially because I'm always sick and I need that. And, and kids carry those burdens even when parents certainly don't want them to. Um, and at times, lack of school supports. Now that could be because families don't always share openly with school to bring them in the loop um, because of those disclosure issues we talked about earlier. At the same time, it can be um, more related to the last one, lack of knowledge of those chronic health conditions or what they really lead to um, by school personnel. You know, I know as myself as a teacher, I was a teacher, I was not a medical professional. I count on someone else to tell me what's going on with a kiddo in terms of a chronic health condition. What does that mean for them? What does that mean in the classroom? What does that mean for all of the activities that I might be leading or engaging the kids in? And when I don't have that information, uh, it makes it more difficult for me to do 
the best job possible to provide access and support for a kiddo in the classroom. So those can really be barriers um, that we can overcome, but those are the barriers they face now. Um, so we wanna make sure that we're trying to hit all of those, those pieces. And we'll kind of come back to those and see if we can um, make sure that we've addressed at least in part how to tell how to address those and to support kiddos in those areas. So chronic illness challenges in school. Certainly when a kiddo has a chronic illness and they go to their, their doctor and they probably have more than one doctor and more than one visit and testing and all the things they have, um, the doctor's focus, the nurse's focus is on the clinical side. Their focus is to get this kiddo um, back to a, a healthy, um, workable situation where kiddos aren't in the hospital, they're healthy, they're doing well, their um, medication is correct, their treatments are correct, they're all of those things. Um, and that's a lot, that's a lot for them to focus on. Um, the piece of that that doesn't always get the focus then is after the clinical side, after the medical piece, what's that mean in the, all the other facets of my life? What does that mean in all the other pieces of my, my social life and my friends and the things I want to do and growing up and all of those other pieces that come besides the actual medical treatment or the actual medical diagnosis? Um, and of course, school being such a large part of kids' lives, and that's where their social life happens, and obviously their education, they're looking forward to, you know, the, the goals they have as young adults, the college goals or the trade goals, and, and can, choosing the right um, job goals or the right education goals for them that suits their needs and making sure that they are able to access those. I mean, those are huge challenges in school. Um, and so we know that many of our students with chronic illness have unmet learning needs, but they may not qualify for a 504 and IEP. But because of all of those other issues we were just talking about, um, all could, which could be temporary or permanent, there are times where kids have barriers, um, perceived barriers, um, and maybe barriers that can be very easily moved, but there's just a disconnect between the families understanding what they can share, what they need to share, schools understanding the implication of a chronic health condition. It's more than just, okay, I give them their medicine at 11. You know, it, it can, it's much bigger than that. And understanding what that looks like and how to address that in those each specific circumstance. Um, and this again, sometimes that 504 and IEP are right there and a great support, but some of our kids don't qualify, but it doesn't mean they don't need support. So as we go on, we'll talk about how can a IHP or a health plan provide that support that they need to help get those unmet needs um, addressed. Um, there are some data from teachers in schools, and I have to say, it's a kind of, it's a not a very super well-researched area that I can um, see, but there is some data out there that talks um, with teachers and students um, that they would like help in understanding that that health condition does have a place in school in terms of being understood, learning what that fully means as the whole child and the development of the whole child. Um, and 
how schools can support. Many schools are willing and teachers are willing, but I don't know how. I don't know what that means. I don't know what I can do to help that. I'm not a medical person. I don't, I don't do medical stuff. Well, sure, teachers, that's not what we're there for. Um, but we do have a person in the school who does that, right? That can help us out with that. So we'll look at that a little bit more. There's also some data uh, from teachers that discuss that as teachers in their teacher preparation programs, in their training, or even in their professional development as um, in-service teachers, that they are not getting that training, professional development, uh, or support to just understand chronic health conditions. Certainly, you're not going to take a college course that starts listing all these chronic health conditions. Of course not. But understanding how chronic illnesses do affect uh, families and patients on that broader scale, all of those things we just talked about, and understanding that that is part of that support system and part of that teacher um, differentiating and working with the school and working with the family to meet the needs of that student. So teachers are saying they could use more of that because they're finding they have kiddos in class. Kiddos are, while they still have a chronic health condition, they are many times at this stage in uh, 2020 where they're healthier and they're healthy enough to go to school. They just need the support while they're there. But it's not to the point where they, they shouldn't be there or they should stay home. We want them we want them out. We want them doing what is as typical as possible within the limits that they have. They don't want to be defined by, oh, there's the kid with that condition. Any more than any other kid wants to be defined by any other category. They just want to be kids. They want to hang out with their friends. They talk like they don't want to go to school, but you know, they really do. And they want to be able to do what their friends are doing in, to, the, to the capacity that they can. And that's important to their overall development and their overall well-being, and that's what we need to get them to. So we're going to look at that a little bit. And given that, you know, there's the here's a um, image we're all pretty familiar with in the educational realm and the the hierarchy of needs. And so let me just kind of give us a little example here for if we're feeling a little bit like we're grasping at this and. Um, you know, it still feels very siloed. You know, there's a school piece and there's the, the clinical piece. And we really do want to figure out how those really come together. So, you know, as teachers and advocates and parents, we're, we're pretty familiar with this Maslow's hierarchy and we think about those, those levels. But so let's give you kind of a couple examples. So physiological, you know, that those basic needs, right? A child with Narcolepsy, for example, of which that is what my daughter has, is narcolepsy. Um, right off the bat, it affects her most, one of her most basic needs, which is the need for sleep. And she can't help the way that affects her brain. It's a condition that she can't control. There is no medication that just fixes it or cures it. It's a matter of adapting. It's a matter of finding some um, scheduling and a schedule of naps and sleep and diet and there's a little bit of medication out there to help um, to bring her to the best that she can be. However, so if you're a kiddo who's not getting the right amount of sleep by no fault of your own because of your chronic, chronic health condition, what else does that affect? Well, when we think about it, we look up and it's 
um, safety, emotional, intellectual safety, depending on the age of the child, um, sometimes it does affect our safety. My daughter was in college, living not in my home, and she was falling asleep at random places wherever she was at the library. Um, you know, what, what's her safety? What is her safety when she's out um, anywhere? So personal safety, but also that fear, that emotional safety, that intellectual safety of, of understanding where she is, what she's doing, what's happening around her. Can she go places feeling like she can't share that information? Maybe she can't disclose that. What do people think about that? How are professors going to perceive that she just falls and she just gets too tired? Um, there were a lot of fears there, okay, um, which leads to issues with friendship and belonging to a group or classroom. At times, she can't participate in the activities at the same pace and for the same duration as her friends because she gets too tired. She needs a quick nap. She you know, has to be careful about driving. She has, you know, things of that nature that sometimes keep her excluded from a group or keep her or could keep her excluded from a group, um, keep her from participating, staying up as long as somebody else and doing things like that that she couldn't quite keep up with at times because of her condition. Um, so it affects there. And so certainly that's going to affect your self-esteem. You know, there's that disclosure again. Does she want to tell people? Do people just think she's lazy? Do they just think she stays up all night and she's just not prioritizing her life um, correctly? Uh, what do people, am I, am I as good a student in class if I'm not sleeping? Am I really as good a student? Am I really able to process? Um, those kinds of things affect that as well. So certainly if all of those other levels are being affected, we get to that achieving one's full potential. Are we sure we're achieving our full potential if we're having, um, we're taking hits on every level all the way to the top, right? Um, and many of our kids, that is true. Different, um, they may have different um, pieces that are, are more difficult to address than others. But in just thinking about that basic developing of person, not only clinically, but in all other aspects of their life and looking at this from an educational standpoint, schools have a, we, we, we touch all of these pieces, right? We um, are working with our children through all of those pieces. We don't do the clinical side, but we're trying to develop them all the way through. So by ignoring or not understanding and supporting the chronic condition, we affect all of this other development. And so we want to make sure that we don't see these as silos as, well, that's the medical side and this is school. They are unbelievably inexplicably linked and affect each other um, all the way through on all of these levels. And we want to make sure that we give that the weight that it's due um, as we understand what our kiddos need and why the support in school with the health plan and so forth is so important to their overall development. So hopefully I've made that, um, made that case and made that clear. So now that we have Brenda, done that, yes. I just, I just want to take a moment. Uh, this is Kathy. Um, to remind people, if you joined us a little later, you may not have heard me talk about opening the, Q, the question and answer box at the bottom of your screen. It's a Q&A. You can post your questions there. You can post them anonymously uh, if you prefer or just comments and we will 
address those questions as we see them. So please open that Q&A box. We want to hear from you. So um, just wanted to put that out there. I do. I, yeah, you know, nobody wants to just hear me talk this whole time. Let's hear some other questions. Thanks. So that would be great. Um, so given those, those concerns that we've just talked about and sort of trying to outline why a chronic health condition um, is needing more attention than at this point they seem to be getting, um, but we want to say that here's where your individual health plan comes into play. This is where we can help. Um, you engage the expertise of a school nurse, our health, our health professional in the building, uh, in the school, uh, school building, looking at the development of a health plan. They are definitely powerful as a standalone document for those kids who can't be served by a 504 or an IEP for other reasons. The health plan itself is a standalone document that um, can be utilized. It's a tool that is, could be very valuable. Certainly, if you have kiddos that are going to uh, qualify for the 504 and IEP and have these conditions, this health plan, we still do it and it just it just links right up. It brings all of your, your health info and those um, elements that we're going to talk about from the health plan, it takes it straight into your 504 or straight into your IEP. So it just strengthens that um, that much more when you're doing that. Um, and then this health plan is really helpful to students it's really helpful to teachers. Um, as I said, as a teacher, I will say teaching for lots of years, 20 something years, um, we, I, I have had kids with multiple types of chronic health conditions, but rarely any health plans, rarely any health plans. So there were times where I did a lot of um, research on my own saying, what does it mean if a kid has Turner syndrome, or what does it mean if a kid has pandas? What does it mean when a kid has rheumatoid arthritis? What does that mean for me? I'm not doing anything with rheumatoid arthritis. What does it look like in the classroom? Wow. It's, it's all of these different conditions have different reasons that they are have affect in the classroom, um, and they all do. And as teachers, that's tough. We're busy doing a lot of other things, and we're not the medical experts to say, well, let me go search it on my own. This is why we bring in the health professionals to inform us, to help us in the classroom, to give us that information, to help parents feel comfortable with kiddos in the, in the environment, utilizing our school nurse who is a health professional to help us do that, okay? Um, and so let's take a look at some of that info. So this is for Indiana. I don't know if we have any participants outside of Indiana. Um, but we want to look at this really quickly and then we'll come over here to the to I see a, a couple questions there. Um, yeah. Is that what you want to do address Kathy? It's just a Sure, <laughs> sure. And I will address the first one. I don't know if you if you're familiar with foster parents and ability to sign IEPs just quickly in 2008 the law uh, the special education law changed um, and now foster parents are defined Fit the qualifications as a parent for educational purposes with the same rights that all parents have in terms of special education. However, I want to qualify that because there are usually biological parents that are still in the picture and there's still um, some dispute about if parents and biological parents are both at the same meeting. Mm -hmm. 
the sign and that's something that you and the case manager and maybe even the DCS's attorney need to discuss but parent, foster parents do meet the, the they do meet the definition of parent under article 7 so just put that to put that aside the other question and this one will be for you Brenda mm -hmm. uh, not sure if this will be covered later, but I'm curious about undiagnosed health conditions. I struggled with getting accommodations in college because it took years for a diagnosis to be made. In the meantime, I was denied accommodations. Uh -huh. I don't know if that's something you uh -huh. but you're probably familiar with that. Well, it is, and I think the, um, the unfortunate part is that, you know, when you don't have the diagnosis in schools, schools but colleges too because I do have students who we work with the um, disability services and the colleges to help um, give the supports that are available to college students as well and they should have them. Um, the unfortunate part is they do always want that diagnosis, they want that doctor paper that says they have X and at times when they are working on it and they can't say you have X, um, it's important to get the doctor to validate the fact that um, you have or the student has X symptoms or, um, you know, we don't know why yet they have this, uh, that they're struggling to stay awake. Well, it could be narcolepsy we're working on there. It could be a, some anemia issues or, or you know, um, but to say, I am saying as a physician, I'm verifying that this patient has these concerns that we are investigating actively and we need support here. Um, and it may take a little bit of, you know, working on the, especially with college disability services, school is a little bit um, easier um, to, to fit that in. But, you know, it all comes back to having verification from a physician. That's a really big um, piece that, you know, just to say I'm really, whatever your condition is, but you know, I'm really tired, um, you know, whatever those things are, it is real, you know, and as a patient, you know, it's real and you want to be heard and you know, you want support and you don't want to be like this. You want to, you know, feel good again and feel healthy. And it's not the, where you are at that time. So getting that support from the medical professionals who validate that what you're saying is real, it's just under the process of of determination at this moment. You know, we're still testing, we're still collecting data, we're figuring it out, but these are real. Um, and approach it from that direction. Um, and then after that, if you still get pushed back, then I think we have to go a little bit further potentially with, um, you know, especially for college with some looking at the Office of Civil Rights and things like that to look at that ADA um, pieces. But I think that's where you start is you've got to get that validation from your physician showing that these symptoms that you're having are real and they're just still being determined as to part as the cause or the diagnosis. So I hope that, I hope that helps. It's um, not really super cut and dried there, but I hope that helps. Um, and then, um, so just really quickly, we'll go here because I see there's another um, question that says, um, I have a, Newer foster child is turning three after school starts and will be done with first steps and moving into public schools, right? It's a genetic condition and physically could pass for a nine month old, okay, because of multiple chronic health issues, right? Um, and wanna make sure we get a homebound program. Um, what do I need to do? So my, I guess I'm just making sure I understand that you're looking to talk to the public school about 
supporting um, your child. And I'm not sure if you're wanting to do just a totally homebound program currently, as opposed to any in-school support or not. Um, and part of that, you know, the health plan is really more related in a lot of ways to when this, the student is in the school setting, in the school um, itself. But if this child would have a IEP, and I don't know if we have that, or they've been working on, you know, if you're talking to the school about that process and getting some supports that way, um, certainly that that also goes with it. But regardless, no matter how you approach it with the school, whether it's in uh, homebound, whether it's in uh, on school site and so forth, you need to get start get that diagnosis um, from the physician with a letter. We'll talk about that as we come along, like what we can get from our physicians to uh, verify that this is a condition and here is what this means. Schools will believe, okay, you have a condition, but even the schools, we don't always know what that means then for us in the school setting. Um, and so we need to make sure our physician helps us with that um, and puts that in there so that we can start relaying that with that backing, that verification from the physician so that schools can start to understand that and see that it's legitimate. It's not mom just wants our kiddo to have a nap at, you know, at 10. This is a condition and this is what they need to have a nap at 10 and here's why. Um, I hope that makes sense. If not, please, you know, ask a little bit more there. But Kathy, do you want to add something to that? Yeah, um, it sounds like the child's going to be evaluated by the school from, as a transition from first steps, which is mm -hmm. appropriate. Right. Um, she's asking about a homebound program. Mm -hmm. My answer a year ago would have been different than it might be right now because of COVID. True. You know, we, you and I have talked about the fact that we've got a lot of kids with serious health conditions. It probably will not be safe for them to attend a school where disease can be rampant, uh, especially at the moment. And so at, at the moment school, and I, I don't want to steal your thunder. I think you're going to no, 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 please, please. a little bit, but um, schools are in the process of figuring out whether they're going to go live or, you know, have kids come into the building or if they're going to continue with the continuous learning, the homebound or not, not homebound, continuous learning. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. want to distinguish that um, and some might be offering a combination of both and so I it's probably going to be an individual decision I understand some schools may be letting parents make the decision whether the child comes to the building or receives the continuous learning at home so that really is a discussion that you need to have with your local school to talk yeah. go on their website look up their continuous learning plan they should be um, putting out information about reopening and how they see that happening and what options might be available. But please, that and every school district gets to do it their own way. So there is no one size fits all. So you've got to check your local website, your, your teacher of record, whomever, uh, check and see what their plan is for kids starting up school again this this fall because like I said my answer you know a year ago was very would have been very different than it is right now there's too many things that are very different and too much uncertainty and so check with your school and have that discussion okay and Kathy um, there was a follow-up question that goes along with that that 
um, you know, is there an actual form to be filled out? Yes, the evaluation is set after school starts, but Kathy's right, we don't want him around other kids. Very fragile. So, you know, back to what you were saying, all those things about finding out what that school system is doing, because that may be different than what a year ago was happening. Um, there's, there's, and as far as actual form, if we're talking about the health plan part of it, um, you know, obviously there are actual forms to, um, you know, as usual for an IEP process and evaluation, of course, but if we're talking about the IHP, there's not a specific form and we'll go over that here coming up so you can kind of see, but there are elements that you want to be, um, making sure in there. Another person just commented that, you know, work that this person works in a pediatrician's office and they should check with the doctor to see if that child should even be going to school based on the diagnosis. And that's exactly right. And said, and we're, we're going to get to that a little bit later because of, um, especially with our, our COVID concerns, but absolutely. I mean, that's, and that again, that's why any of this, there's a start with our, pedi our pediatrician, our physician, our specialist, whoever our kiddos are seeing and saying, what does this look like for my child? And what do the supports look like? And that support could be, hey, they get to go to school every day, but they need these things done. It could be some distance type virtual learning. It could be, I mean, it, it, what is appropriate for my child? Um, and that's where we need to make sure that our physicians are supporting us, okay? And they will. It's just, again, you think about it, a lot of times physicians are working on that clinical side. Sometimes that other piece in that social side may not jump straight out at them, but as parents and saying, okay, help me with this. And your physicians, your physicians are the, are knowledgeable and able to help there. Okay. To at least get you started. Um, so that's important. Um, and I, can I address Kim's qu uh, question about um, school mm -hmm, plan? I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, whether or not schools decide which plan is most appropriate for a student not exactly. 504 plans, schools do have a, um, they, they do have a lot of decision-making authority. Uh -huh. yeah. Though there is an appeals process if you and the school don't agree. However, with IEPs, there, yes, there can be conflict about whether or not a child qualifies. The parents are, to me, I believe on a more equal footing. So again, as a parent, mm -hmm. if this thing you know, we've evaluated, and there is an evaluation process that has to happen for both, by the way. You don't just say, yeah, let, let's give this kid an IEP or let's give this kid a 504 plan or a healthcare plan. There's got to be a basis mm -hmm. for it. And so they, they need to meet the criteria. And then at least for the IEP, there's the meeting to, for the, the team with the parent to discuss, does this child meet the qualifications under special education law. So no, it's not totally up to, not totally up to the school. So right. just so. And right. Joan asked about an actual form to be filled out. I'm assuming you mean for putting your child on continuous learning and not being at the building. I do not know what your school will, re will require. Um, I, all I can say is if he's going to get evaluated for an IEP, it doesn't matter if the child has a disability or not. I. I, I think there's going to be a lot of flexibility for parents to decide which one they want to do. But 
every school makes their own determination about what they're going to make available. And so I just want to keep directing parents, go back to the, your school's website, talk to your, you know, the admin administrators and find out what's going to be offered here and then make that decision about um, what's appropriate for the child. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where when you, as you're saying, there's more discretion in that 504 as opposed to that um, that IEP, but that's again, that's where that health plan piece comes in because you're getting that info from your pediatrician or your physician and saying, my kiddo has this condition and here's how they, this condition substantially limits their major life activities in a way that we can help with that 504. Um, so just, you know, if that turns out to be inappropriate, that can help. That's a support document. So, so these are great questions. Keep them up. Um, so just as I said, we're just going to say really quickly what we have with some Indiana numbers. Um, this is this comes from some school services in Indiana. This is looking doing some um, getting collecting some data from some, from school nurses in Indiana. Um, you know, school nurses are estimating 31% of their students have a chronic health condition, and that was only based on the chronic health conditions that were listed to choose from. You know, some of those that we think like diabetes and asthma, food allergies, you know, things like that, they didn't, it certainly didn't list. There were none that would pertain to the kiddos I serve with blood disorders. Okay, so, you know, those types of things. So they're estimating that they feel like they have a lot of kiddos, even, even higher than that one in four. But 14% of the school nurses are saying they feel their corporation likes a written policy for managing students with chronic health conditions. Um, and so that therefore they can use that support um, that we can give them with what health plan looks like, how can we get that documentation from uh, the child's physician and support that and even give them that support. Um, you know, school nurses, they wanna do the best that they can, but sometimes they're as limited at times <clears throat> and are not always familiar with all these conditions either. So <clears throat> every bit that we can bring as parents and advocates for these families um, to help establish a full picture and a clear picture um, is, is what we want. Um, asking about a temp, someone's asked here is about a template or example of an IHP and we'll kind of get to that here in a minute. So give me just a second on that and we'll, we'll get there. Um, looking at another kind of just things to think about as we're putting this in the process for those of us that this is new for us. You know, as far as um, the school corporation does have to employ at least one registered nurse um, in the corporation. You know, some of you have kiddos that are in huge corporations and some of you are in teeny tiny ones where the person <coughs> in the building who might be called a health aide or something like that isn't actually a nurse or a registered nurse, but the corporation does have one. Um, if you're lucky enough to be in a building where there is a registered nurse that's there full time, then terrific. But you wanna make sure that when you're starting to talk to school about your child's condition, um, and that's important that you make sure that that registered nurse is part of that, all of those conversations, not just the health aide in the building, but the registered nurse also, okay? And you may not know that, if you don't ask, you know, you may not know that that person is not a registered nurse that's going to be with your child every day. Um, and that's important to know. Um, and um, we also know that 
um, oh, let me just throw out, this is back to that person's question about a template. The state law does already provide IHP development outlines for diabetes, asthma, seizures, and severe allergies. So actually, and I'll, I'll give you the link here in a little bit, but there is actually plans or examples that um, can be followed for each of those conditions specifically, yet those outlines can be adapted for any chronic condition. You know, it has those essential elements. So we'll, we'll, I'll show you that here in just a little bit. Um, so there is no standardized format though. There's no one form like, you know, we have more of that with IEPs and things like that. We're all kind of in a standard way. They're not, they do not have that, um, but there is the essential information that each of those need to have in them. And as I said, if you follow like, for example, here, the diabetes uh, template, that's gonna give you the major criteria to just adapt to your condition. Um, certainly understanding that um, any development or changes in that plan have to be done with parent approval and knowledge. So they can't just decide they're not gonna do this or they're gonna do this at that time. That has to be part of that agreed to plan. Um, and the, the health plan does represent a legal standard. These are the healthcare decisions being made for this child um, in this environment and what has to be done, whether that's medication, treatment, calling parents, support in the classroom, all of these different types of things. And we'll kind of talk about like what some of those could look like here in a minute. But we want to make sure we know that this is not, um, this isn't just something we could do and that's kind of nice and fun. This is, this represents a legal standard and can be um, a standalone document and support your child that they as a school, uh, a school entity can, is held accountable to for the health and welfare and safety of your child. So it's an important piece of, of uh, an important document with a lot of important information in it that needs to be um, put into place. So, um, and so kind of when we're thinking about getting prepared, what do we need to get together so we can talk to school about that? Um, as a parent, uh, a guardian, you need to reach out to the school as early as possible. We know as parents, we always fill out those health cards that have to go back to the nurse at the beginning of each year. And those are important and certainly disclose on the health card, of course, but don't automatically assume because you wrote it um, on a health card that the nurse is gonna reach out to you to do a health plan. No, you're gonna need to contact school and say, hey, I know I filled in the health plan, this is a condition. I wanna talk about developing a health plan for my student. Okay, so you're going to want to be proactive as the parent or the advocate um, to support this process starting as soon as school starts. You want to get it as soon as you get going, um, which is important because every day your child is there unsupported is a day that either there's a health, there could be a health concern or they aren't getting the right support to get a good start in the school year. So you want to do it as soon as you can, even as it, right now it's crazy because of schools aren't operating in their normal fashion to start. Uh, but even, you know, you could contact them when everyone is back in the office and try to get that set up even before school starts, which I um, in the past have done as much as possible. Um, as I said, I know this year's a little bit different. Um, but also just to keep in mind, physicians are bound by HIPAA laws, privacy laws, where it, which is far more restrictive than schools are bound by purple laws, um, you know, and that's just meaning sharing private information. So because of that, your, um, you know, your school nurse can't always just call the physician and say, hey, I have a question about this order 
or hey, I have a question about this. Um, so there need to be, we need to get the physician to help us with putting directives in writing and also discuss with the school nurse or the, uh, the physician about signing a consent that allows that conversation to take place if you choose, um, uh, rather than having to go through you, you know, for every question. Um, that's totally up to you if, if that's something we want to do, but that helps to make sure that flow of communication goes back between those medical professionals to be sure that everything is done um, and all those directives are understood, you know, completely. Um, and then to help them develop the most appropriate uh, health plan um, for their for their situation, you know. So that's not just medications and you know things like that, um, but it's also those cognitive implications, the social, emotional, the physical fatigue, what are their restroom needs, dietary needs, you know, things like that. All of that goes into there. Any of those pieces that are affected by this chronic health condition can be addressed to, to a certain extent there. Um, uh, and then there was a question here that kind of goes with this, that IHP can be a standalone document, but is the IHP automatically placed into the IAP or 504? Not necessarily. Um, that would take that communication from the nurse to say, oh, we have an IHP to, you know, a case conference committee who's working on IEP. So, you know, again, as a parent, as an advocate, we say, hey, we know this child has an IHP. We want that to be part of this because it definitely informs that process. Um, if you're using that IHP to like to initiate a 504, certainly you're going to have it there. But if your child already has a health plan and then later you're trying to initiate that you're going to want to make sure that you share that information that we have it let's get it out let's share all this data so um, not always does the right hand know what the left hand's doing so you know we need to do that coordination um, as advocates and, and parents and guardians um, but we also want to talk this is a good time at the beginning is to talk to also the physician that's treating your child about the certificate of incapacity um, illness we we don't always need those certainly depending on the condition some of our kiddos do some don't but if a physician feels that that could happen that that may happen it depends on you know a particular treatment regimen or uh, you know in our case if our kiddos are are doing well they're doing well but if they get a bleed um our kids with maybe for example hemophilia get a bleed you don't you can't predict that's happening and that kiddo could be out and then could be in the hospital for several days. You know, sometimes you just don't know. But if it's something a physician is comfortable and says, I think this could be possible, you know, you might think about getting that preemptively and thinking ahead and being aware as opposed to waiting until, oh my gosh, we're in a situation where we need that. Um, but those, again, it's up to a physician because physicians have to sign that document, but it's something to ask about, it's something to address, um, which can also be, you know, we'll go file in with, with a health plan. Um, you want to make sure that you understand the school policy that's already in place. Um, for, for example, um, our kiddos with sickle cell, um, they can get fevers because they are prone to infection. Um, and if our physician wants them to parent to be called at a, you know, at 101 and the school policy is they don't call till or they call at 100, okay, you're in good shape already. They're actually going to be, they're going to even meet the standard earlier or before than what the physician wants. On the other hand, if 
the physician wants you to be called at 100 and the schools is 101, you wanna make sure that gets into that plan. So you're gonna to wanna to make sure you do understand what the school policy already is for medication storage or you know, illness and you know, administration of medication and things like that because you might need to get that uh, physician's statement to say things about they need to be called at a certain temperature. You know, you might need to make that adjustment to what the school policy already is. Otherwise, if it's not explicitly in there, the school will follow its normal policy. Um, and in some cases that may not be okay for, for our kiddos with um, chronic health conditions. Um, and then in terms of talking to school to help that nurse and those teachers and so forth to understand you have that document from the physician, but also if you can get articles and things like that that come from reputable sources, you know, we don't Wikipedia things, um, but, you know, CDC information or, you know, the Cancer Society or what, you know, depending on what the condition is, that you can bring some of that material that comes with some research attached and from those experts to help schools for reading material, for educational purposes, to get them to get a sense of the bigger picture with this condition, um, that that's important. So it can to be prepared well, it can take a little research, a little work, um, up front and then be prepared this is big uh, to question and discuss how relevant staff are going to be notified and trained how will staff be prioritized for a level of information so here's why this is important thinking ahead as i said every corporation has to have a registered nurse but not every building has one so the person that could be taking care of your child could be a health aide or maybe you have a nurse in the building, but when the nurse is absent, who takes care of it? And sometimes they get a substitute nurse. Sometimes the substitute nurse turns out to be the secretary in the front office. So if the secretary in the front office is the person caring for your child, who I wanna know, I wanna know that as a parent, I wanna know who's taking care of my kid. And then how are they being trained? How do they understand what to do? Um, you know. What happens if my kid needs uh, a administration of, of some medication or something that isn't something that a uh, school secretary can't do? You know, how is that gonna work to get a registered nurse in the building to give my child um, a shot of some sort, you know, a sub Q or to do an infusion, which is something that could potentially happen in case of my kiddos with bleeding disorders. So what is that gonna look like and how is that staff gonna be trained? Um, in multiple areas. So we wanna make sure we're just thinking ahead about that. Who do we have in our building? Who's that going to be and what's that gonna look like? So, and you know, making yourself a list, writing these things down, gathering this information as you come to um, a meeting or as you come to um, setting up this meeting for this health plan is important to come with everything you can be prepared with. Um, and, um, so let me look, there's one more question here. What advice would you give parents when deciding to keep a child home from school due to illness or due to chronic illness, such as cystic fibrosis? Parents often say schools penalize students for frequent absences, especially if they didn't see a doctor. Parents don't always feel the child needs to see a doctor every time. Well, I think there's a couple pieces of that. One is that's something that can be addressed in the health plan. Um, knowing that child has, um, you know, I'm, they have to stay home if X happens or the Y happens. Um, and that could be part of the physician orders as well, you know, saying, we know this kid is gonna be absent, 
because we are expecting them to, they have to be home if this happens, this happens, you know, things like that. And cystic fibrosis definitely is one of those that um, there are some, obviously some significant reasons that a kiddo might be able to need to stay home, but the families and the physician have worked out the plan and don't always need to go to the doctor, right? There's not always a note, right? Um, but that also goes back to talking to that physician about that um, certificate of incapacity. So if the doctor says, I know this kiddo is, could be um, absent these 20 days, you know, it doesn't mean 20 at a time, but 20 days because either illness, doctor's appointments, you know, hospitalizations, you know, all these things, and the doctor can certify that, then that's probably something to do, to do ahead of time so that you're not getting in a situation, you're right, because schools start calling and saying, hey, your kid hasn't been here, why is your kid here? Um, and schools have to report that to the state, so they're under pressure too. Um, and, but you can be proactive about that and talking to a physician about that and seeing if you can either get that certificate of incapacity or at least bring that up to the physician saying, this is gonna be something I need. Even if I just call you, can you verify that my kid is sick and I've called you? And that can be a note. You know, um, we're able to do that for our patients um, under certain circumstances. They may not come in, but they've had to call. They've talked through a triage situation with nurses and physicians. We've given advice and then we can, we're able to notify school and allow um, them or give them that that note to say yes they we have we have given them that um, advice to stay home you know and do this thing so um, again that's working that out with your physician but that's a great question because it comes up every time um, so so kind of being prepared right ahead of time to facilitate the process um, so here's where we have a bit of a list as I said there's no standard document for an IHP. Um, you can utilize some of them that you see, you know, um, on, and I'll give you the link here in a little bit, uh, but here's the essential information, okay, that can be in there, and each school gets to kind of write it in their own format, but these are the things that have to be in there. So they obviously need the demographics, they need contact information, they need the diagnosis, they need the symptoms of concern. So when the nurses looking at the kid or the teachers in the building says, mm, I see that, you need to go to the nurse. So we need to know those symptoms. Certainly any allergies or triggers that could happen um, in the classroom, whether that be, you know, definitely allergies like the smell of something or being around some chemical or latex or something, you know, no balloons, things like that, or triggers, lights, strobing lights, or, you know, anything like that that can create issues. Um, certainly specifications in diet or activity or environmental modifications. So for example, for my, my, a lot of my kiddos, they can go to PE on a pretty typical basis as long as they are healthy and everything is, is the way we want it to be. But if uh, my kiddos with um, hemophilia get a bleed, then when that occurs, then PE needs to be modified. And I can't wait till the day they get the bleed to say to the PE teacher, hey, that need, they can't do this activity. They need, it needs to be modified. That doesn't mean they need to sit over on the sideline and do nothing. It means how can we modify the activity for the day? So they still can participate, but they can participate in a way that's safe. It also doesn't mean they have to stay home. It just means how can they access school in the way that they need to to be safe? So 
um, you know, thinking how that looks. And even though you may never need it, if my kiddo never has a bleed all school year, great, we didn't need it, but we have it there in case. Um, so it's a part of thinking ahead about what possibilities are there. Um, you know, environmental modifications. My kiddos don't need, typically need a wheelchair, for example. If there's a bleed in a knee and our physician or physical therapist says they've got to stay off that knee, well, they need to potentially use a wheelchair at school because we don't want them to just stay home and say, well, they, get, they can't walk. Well, okay, they can't walk. So let's get a wheelchair and let's get an elevator pass so they can ride the elevator and, you know, let's give them a few extra minutes between classes if it's, you know, high schooler kids to get back and forth so they're not counted tardy and make sure they show up to school because we want them in school. We don't want them sitting at home. Um, they may never need it, but you want it in place before they need it as opposed to trying to fight it at the time, okay? Daily schedule of care, again, that depends on the kiddo. Some kids don't really have a daily schedule of care that's different than any other kid, but if you do have one that takes medications or has to have um, you know, blood sugar checked or you know, things like that, then you want, what is that schedule gonna look like? What are those times? What is that schedule? And nurses have to document that information in their charting, you know, they chart that at school, but we want that in that health plan. Again, contingency planning and delegation in the nurse's absence, which we talked about just a little bit ago, we want it explicitly written down. Who's taking care of the child when that nurse isn't there? Who's responsible for, for what needs to happen and understanding the signs, the symptoms, the plan, um, and all of that. Um, you want to put in their field trip considerations. Um, there are times I have fought with schools because they said, well, like, they just can't go on a field trip. Oh yeah, they can. <laughs> let's make let's make those contingency plans and let's see what that looks like so that they can participate. We want full participation to the extent they can do so. Um, and that could be part of the health plan. Um, certainly extracurricular event planning, if there's any, you know, if they're a school play, you know, things like that that they have, or clubs. Um, transportation planning, if kiddos need special transportation, they don't always, but we need to put that in there. Um, as an example, um, uh, our kiddos with sickle cell um, on a typical um, lovely day uh, can walk to school if, that's, if they're in a walking distance. However, even kids that are in a walking distance with sickle cell, we don't want them walking in cold weather and really, really hot weather. It's really poor for um, the condition and the sickling of their cells. So we put in there that they need to be on a bus, even if they're in a walking distance, especially under certain circumstances, under certain conditions. Um, and that needs to be part of that health plan because that's the reason, it's a health reason. Um, certainly supplies needed for daily or emergency care, who's providing that, what is it, what do you have to make sure is on hand and so forth. And the communication plan, you know, as your parents, you wanna know what happened during the day, what was, you know, was, the, was the plan followed? Were there any abnormalities that happened during the day? What is that? How am I going to be communicated? When my kiddo's out of X medication or closed out, when am, how am I get, is that going to get communicated to me? So that there's an open dialogue um, to make sure that those needs are being met and everyone's on the same page. Um, and then on that document, you're definitely, you have a signature of the nurse from the corporation that wrote the plan, who really uh, put that together, and then definitely the parent um, signing that they acknowledge and agree with that plan, okay? So that format could look different, 
depending school to school, but that's the basic information that needs to be on there. And that may not seem like very many things, um, but that could be pages, that could be pages. And a lot of that information can come from your physician's document that explains the diagnosis and what they're giving as directives about medical care, accommodations and so forth, okay? So very important information to, to get together and have. Um, and then this is not gonna apply to every kiddo, but for some of our kiddos, we also need to make sure we include an emergency action plan. Um, so this, you know, uh, emergency preparedness plans have to include provisions for warning and evacuating students with disabilities. Um, you know, for many of our kiddos, this, you know, this may not be, they may have health plan, but they, that's not a concern. But if we have a kiddo in our wheelchair, what is the plan for getting them out of there? Um, when we have to have emergency evacuations, and that can be fire drills or, you know, things like that, um, are like, for example, again, our sickle cell kids, they can't be standing out on a fire drill for 10 minutes when it's 20 degrees. They, it's, that is unhealthy for them with the sickling of their, um, their sickle cell condition. So we have to make um, emergency action plans and what happens with that child during those conditions. Um, and how do we make sure they have a warm place to be, a coat, you know, things like that when you're talking about an emergency situation, but how does that get taken care of? So that is in the plan and it's ready to go. Um, and again, not every kid needs that, but those who do, it's something to discuss with your physician and then to bring up and talk about with that, that health plan. Um, what's the evacuation? What's the medical supplies? Um, you know, how do they get where they need to go? How do we make sure they have what they need? And then certainly um, that can be part of IEPs and 504s and so forth. Um, and, um, but again, it's not, that doesn't replace your health plan. That's in addition to your health plan, okay? So you don't always need it, but it's something you want to be sure you explore when you're, when you're in this process, okay? Um, and then I see Susan has a question posted up here, but give us just a minute here and we'll, we'll come to that one. Um, so let's kind of throw into this, this COVID-19 thing here, okay? Um, this is throwing everybody for a loop, schools and parents, and we don't know whether to send our kids or don't send our kids and what's that gonna look like? And, you know, and, I'm, and I mean that with kids who don't have chronic health conditions, right? I mean, we're, it's very nervous. A nervous time. So this is also a good time to discuss this, is if you are planning to send your kiddo back or you're trying to decide whether to send your kiddo back, um, there should be, obviously, as um, Kathy said earlier, there, most schools are starting to list some of their protocols or their, their plans. Look at it. What are they doing? What's going to be the normal procedure or policy? And if what your child needs fits in the normal procedure or policy, great, okay? However, if your child is more compromised than typical um, and you need to wanna talk more about the personal protective equipment, how things are sanitized, what are the students' contacts gonna look like, what are materials, are you sharing materials or not sharing materials? What, what about my, my child's opportunity to get checked by the nurse? What about attendance? Maybe we need to go virtual. Maybe that's part of it. What's that technology look like? And again, your physician should be part of that. 
um, your physician may say, oh, no, we don't, we don't want that child going back in a live classroom situation at this time. Um, so you want your physician to be part of that. Um, but in that conversation, also when your child is not in the classroom, what's the virtual situation look like? What, how do we access that? Um, you know, what is that, what's that setup look like? So definitely put this into the, to the mix of the questions and the things that you wanna talk about and what it looks like, um, because it may be different than the typical policy for your particular student. Um, and that's important and none of us really know what that looks like right now or what that's gonna look like. So don't be afraid to ask the questions. Don't be afraid to ask and push the envelope a little bit and say, well, this is something that can happen to my child. What does that look like here? You know, and again, with the physician help to support you to saying that's what they need or this needs to happen. Okay, really important. Um, there's a question here about sometimes schools ask parents to provide supplies to leave at a school like a nebulizer and an inhaler and not to take it back and forth between home and school. Should schools pay for this? Well, schools do have a certain amount of things that they have on hand, um, but you know, special equipment um, is something that typically the parents do bring, you know, there's inhalers and things like that. Schools will keep emergency equipment, um, you know, that they need on hand and, and band-aids and, you know, things like that. But typically a nebulizer, that's pretty commonly brought in by the family and can, and you know what, I understand if a school says, I don't want it to go back and forth. We just want you to have a nebulizer here. You know, well, you're not wanting to buy two nebulizers. That doesn't have to be that way. Okay. Now you can push to see if the school will, will pay for that. But in the long run, they can't tell you you have to leave it there every day. It can go back and forth. Um, and, you know, inhalers. They don't want kids to having medications and things like that on their person, especially, you know, certain, obviously younger ages. Um, and that's understandable also, but in certain conditions um, and discussing the fact that, you know, my insurance won't pay for two inhalers, if that's the case, for example, and I can't get another one until this one's empty. So we have to carry it back and forth. Well then, okay, then talk to the school. What's that protocol going to look like? Maybe that's got to be in a sealed envelope every day. I don't know what they, you know, what, how some schools are a little less, strict or fussy about it but then that's part of the health plan what's that what's that transport of material look like every day if that's the way that's got to be um and make sure that's written that's written in there and that's what that looks like so that there's no question and it's clear agreement between the two sides okay um and um let's see so kind of kind of circling back a little bit because I want us to make sure that we're, we're feeling like we're getting questions answered here. But so this is a slide we had earlier about children with chronic conditions, conditions are have a risk for absenteeism, low engagement, dropping out of school, bullying, disruptive behaviors, poor grades, etc. Um, through a health plan, we can address all of those. You know, how do we make sure the child comes to school what do they need to come to school um, to make sure that they can be there? For example, as I said earlier, when a child has a, a knee bleed, one of my patients, school's set up for a wheelchair and they're set up for a you know, elevator pass if they you know, have a two-story building. It's already done. The kid comes in, they know that's what they're gonna need. They hit the nurse's office and say, hey, I've got a bleed. I, 
great, okay, got it. Because the goal is not to have that child stay home when they don't need to, but sometimes they need that support. Maybe it is they have to have a chair to put, to elevate that leg. Well, then that should be in there. Sometimes if they're having a bleed, they're gonna to need to have to be able to elevate the leg and they need to have that space in class to do it where a teacher isn't saying, get your feet on the floor, don't put it on the chair. Well, that's gotta be part of it. And that health plan has to be communicated to those relevant staff. As we said earlier, And what's that training gonna look like to make sure they're aware, okay? Um, making sure we get that part about treatment adherence and care coordination, back and forth in that plan. And then of course, increased exposure to risk factors like COVID um, and those transitions like having equipment that goes back and forth or getting new medication in there or um, emergency evacuation and what that transition looks like. Um, all of those can be in there. Certainly those extras like the cognitive impairment, um, you know, understanding from a physician, yes, this child has had this condition happen, it affects this, so we need to give them extra time on a test or they need to have uh, directions given to them a second time or they have to, you know, things like that that, we, that we're kind of used to sometimes with some of our kids where maybe we write that into an IEP or something for a specific learning disability or something like that. But that could apply either permanently or temporarily some of our kiddos depending on what they've had done. Um, you know, making sure that they're not just sitting out of PE, they have, access to opportunity. Okay, I can't jump up and down because I have this condition that today I can't do that, I have a knee bleed. However, what can they be doing instead? They don't need to just sit on the sideline, which is a lot of times what happens is like, well, you just sit out until, until, we're, until we're done with this. No, what's the alternative activity? What can they be doing? And ask for those things to be done explicitly when you have a health plan that an alternative activity is provided you know, for that. Um, you know, the psychosocial issues, making sure that they have an access to the activities in every possible way that they can. Um, and that can be part of that health plan. Um, you know, and, and the other school supports, making school sure that school has those supports, they have the plan, they have personnel has been trained, there is explicit information about who's taking care of what when the nurse isn't there, but also that the teachers are aware of the symptoms so that they know to send the child to the nurse for care. You know, all of those pieces need to be addressed. And if we'll put those in there, we can, we can address all of these issues that research finds that our kids are missing by putting that in that health plan. Okay. Um, so someone asked about the health plan. Um, does it follow the child from year to year or does it get rewritten each year? They want, they will update it each year. Um, based on, or you need to update, and you need to update it each year, um, based on um, the child's, well, changes in physical condition, of course, changes in the, in the um, level of support needed, but um, it could also be that the child doesn't change, the child's in the same way, but the school, maybe they're transitioning from elementary to junior high, so the circumstances are different, so they didn't need those supports in elementary because it wasn't part, you know, they're not walking back and forth between classes and only have five minutes, you know, to get between classes or something like that. So you want to review it every year, yes. Now, if everyone is comfortable that, nope, that worked great and that's, there are no changes this year, great, then you just sign that new one and it, should, it could be quick and easy. Um, but it should be reviewed and check, it's possible the school may ask for another verification from the physician. 
depending, but, and, but obviously that can be obtained as well. So, but definitely make sure it gets looked at again each year. Shouldn't have to be a total rewrite, but certainly there could be changes and, and additions or deletions or just changes based on the environment and how the environment's different, okay? Um, so hopefully that helps there. Um, so if you have questions or thoughts, things you wanna say, and you wanna put that in the, um, the uh, question and answer space, please go ahead and do it if you haven't done that yet. Um, but a couple other things I wanna give you as resources that to, just to help. Um, so here is um, the link to the Indiana School Nurse Manual. In there, there's a lot of the information that we've kind of talked about, plus a lot of extra things. But you, in there is where you can find those copies or templates for the IHPs. Um, again, you may not have to write it yourself. The nurse is supposed to write it. The nurse writes it. But in terms of helping you just to say, all of these pieces need to be here. This is maybe what it should look like. This is kind of what I should be looking for. There are multiple options there, multiple different um, template formats and just the way it's laid out. But you'll find that they all contain the same elements that we talked about earlier that are essential, okay? Um, and then um, that's, so take a look at that. And then the other thing is if you're a school um, uh, person yourself, if you're a faculty administrator, school nurse yourself, um, this is from the CDC. Um, it's a research brief, but um, if you would take a look at, but what it has attached to it is a school health index self-assessment and planning guide. Going back to our Indiana survey that many teachers or many school nurses felt that their corporation didn't have a plan for what they really are supposed to do with chronic health conditions. Um, this is a, has a self-assessment tool that could be used at school from the perspective of the school staff and faculty of do we have these things in place? What is our plan on this? And it kind of gives them a guideline, something they could look through to help develop or strengthen or verify that they have an appropriate um, policy in place to support um, the staff, the nurses, um, and the, the parents and families for that. So hopefully those can be of assistance. So, so other questions and things like that. I hope, I hope this is helpful. I know this is like a fast overview of um, something that can be rather complex based on the needs of the student. I am really happy to help in any way I can or to, you know, to offer some other thoughts um, because every case is a little different. We find even with my kiddos, I'll see kiddos with the same diagnosis, but schools run things a little differently and, um, you know, everyone's circumstances are a little bit different. Um, so it's definitely a, not a one size fits all, but think, think about a health plan as a really valuable tool to support your families and your kids and, um, and your teachers and your nurses so that the best care is given and everyone feels more comfortable um, so that every element of a kid's day can be as normal and typical as possible, which is what they really want. Now's your chance to ask questions, folks. We still have Brenda with us. I'm not seeing any other questions posted here. Me neither. Okay. All right, well, thank you all so much for, for joining us. Uh, thank you for our live webinar viewers and our 
Facebook Live viewers, and this will conclude our webinar. Jill, if you want to. Um, I think I'm, I'm waiting for the live feed to catch up with us. If you'll give us just a second. Sure. And then um, as, as soon as the live feed feeds up, I will be able to close it out. Okay.